Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. It's that time of the week again where we get together and talk about the Bengals here on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We're, we're grateful that you're with us. We hope that you had a great Christmas. Uh, we're still coming at you even though it's Christmas break for some. It's not really a break for us because there is one season left or one week in the season left for the Cincinnati Bengals uh, as we finish up the 2018 calendar year. My usual co-host, John Sheeran. John, how are you, sir? How was your Christmas? Um, Christmas is good. I probably ate like 4,000 calories yesterday. Most of that was like cookies. So I started my my uh, my New Year's resolution workout, which will probably last, I don't know, like three weeks this time. At least not, at least not like a week ahead of it, though. So it'll, it'll end kind of sh- it'll end kind of soon, 2019. So just getting ahead of it right now. Are you uh, are you one of those guys that us meatballs despise at the gym? You know, you, you crowd it up in, throughout January, and then all of a sudden you're gone by the time mid-February comes around? I, I used to be a regular at the gym, like, when I was in high school. And then <laughs> I, like, I was in a car crash. Like, oh, when really? I first got, when I first got my license, I was in a I was I hit a deer, and I was in a car crash within, like, a two-month span. So oh, I was, like, geez. really scared of driving. And that, like, totally disrupted my gym routine for, like, my entire, like, junior year of high school. So I really, like, took a step back. And then I kind of picked it up back in college. But... I, I know I know how to bench like all right Anthony let's just calm down here all right okay <laughs> you're you're a you're a veteran of the chest day Is that oh I went about? I went like chest day like two weeks in a row just to like <laughs> piss my friends off <laughs> all right fun. well we, we really started this on a uh, <laughs> Jersey Shore kind of vibe uh starting this show off but uh it's good to have you with with uh with us this week and thanks for you know making the schedule change and thanks to our live viewers um, where for those of you who catch our show live or, or do not catch our show live, we usually record at a certain time, usually on Wednesday evenings. And uh, we're recording a little earlier just because of scheduling wackiness and all kinds of stuff that uh, life throws at you. But appreciate you, uh, you know, maneuvering John as well as the live listeners here. A lot to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about some of the things we saw from the, the loss at the Browns and the Browns sweeping the Bengals for the first time since before Marvin Lewis arrived in Cincinnati. That's kind of big news. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, like I said, a couple of things that transpired in that game, both from a Cleveland player and a Bengals player. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Steelers game. We're going to maybe give out a couple of New Year's resolutions for the Bengals that they should be thinking about as the uh, the new year that the ball in Times Square drops, uh, they should be they should be really working hard to remedy things in 2019, and we have a couple of ideas for that. And 
where we'll be taking some listener questions as well. Uh, we've already got a couple sent our way. If you want to get your questions in, definitely leave it in the live YouTube chat. You can leave it in the common thread at Cincy Jungle. There's a post up there that you can do that. You can get in touch with us via call or text 949-542-6241. We'll be trying to take some of those calls later. We will be taking texts throughout the show, though. So send those over to us and we'll get to those. Uh, we'll get to those as we can. You can also hit us up on Twitter at Bengals OBI. On, on the Twitter. Um, you can get this show, in case you're new to it, you can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, at cincyjungle.com. We're also on YouTube and Art19. So a lot of different platforms for this show, and uh, we appreciate the support, how you give it to us in those variety of ways. John, Bengals lost to, this, to the Browns here, and... Uh, I mean, kind of expected given how much attrition has occurred on the Bengals roster from injury. Also, just in general, the way the season has gone. Um, just real quickly to recap, 26 to 18, game was far more out of hand than the score would dictate. Um a couple of late touchdowns from from Driscoll, but for the most part, beginning of the game, pretty awful. I mean, he's done this a couple of times. You know, he's thrown the, the touchdowns at garbage time and, you know, makes games closer than they appear to be. He, he kind of had him close in that game against the Chargers. I, I don't know. I mean, what are you making of him as a viable backup quarterback in the NFL? Well, I don't have that first touchdown, touchdown drive to, like, remembered, like, clearly. But I do remember them blocking the blocking the punt, which led to, like, a – like them already being in the red zone for them to just punch it in just a few plays later. So without that block punt, they probably don't get within eight points and they're just left with, I guess, 10 points against the Browns at Cleveland, which without AJ green, Tyler Eifert and Tyler Boyd, it's pretty hard to score regardless, even when you're the backup quarterback, as opposed to in comparison, Andy Dalton, but Driscoll, I mean, I, I just think he's just been as expected, you know, he's just a backup quarterback. Who's got limited arm talent. He's very inconsistent with his accuracy, but as we've seen, there's, there's high variance in this plays, you know, sometimes when he's given time and, you know, there's a slight separation down the field, he can make a good throw. But other times like against Oakland, you know, he can't hit the broad side of the barn this game. I think the coaches definitely realized that they needed to tone stuff back. So his average depth of target was something like four or five yards down the field. And he threw a lot just in the flats, just to use Zoma and, and Joe Mixon and, and whatnot. And, you know, he, like even with Tyler Boyd out, they still couldn't properly utilize, you know, John Ross in the offense. And I guess, you know, Driscoll and, and Ross didn't formulate has have continued to not formulate a connection down the field. So I, you know, it, it He's not very good. Obviously, he's just the back of quarterback, but also, you know, when circumstances allow it, his production can, you know, be reminiscent of Andy Dolan in a similar situation. I think that's what most people expected out of him. So the Bengals drop another one. They fall, uh, they, they fall to the Cleveland Browns. First time they are, they've been swept by the Browns in one season. Now they've lost back-to-back -back games before in the Marvin Lewis era to the Browns, but um, it's been in different seasons, but first time they've been swept in a season by the Browns since 2002, not a good statistic, especially with how bad the Browns have been. And, and I mean, one could argue that the, the Browns have been almost in as much roster upheaval or, uh, 
kind of wackiness in one season as the Bengals have had. You know, the Bengals have had the injury. They lost their starting quarterback. They lost their Pro Bowl wide receiver, all this stuff. But, uh, you know, Cleveland made a change at head coach. Cleveland made a change at quarterback. Um, I mean, and they've they've made it work, whereas the Bengals have not. Um, right. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And, like, uh, it's almost like, like the Browns have been completely progressive with their transformation and the Bengals have been regressive. And obviously injuries stink, but as we've talked about around that trade deadline, they didn't make any moves to kind of alleviate the, the, those issues. The Browns, meanwhile, they knew, apparently they knew they had a bad head coach in Hugh Jackson and they got him out just in the nick of time. They knew that they had a good quarterback in Baker Mayfield behind a veteran quarterback. But unfortunately that head coach that they ended up firing a few weeks later didn't give him first team reps until the very end of September when Tyrod Taylor got injured. They traded away Carlos Hyde for like a fifth round pick. And then Nick Chubb took the league, took the league by storm into the second half of the season. And it turns out that Greg Williams, you know, with his, you know, albeit creative defensive uh, of mentalities, you know, he is, he has turned into a decent head coach in the middle of all this upheaval. And then Freddie Kitchens took over as offensive coordinator. And now the Browns might name him like the next head coach in order to keep him away from other teams. So the Browns had all this, you know, talent on all, you know, the coaching staff and on the roster. And they just, you know, it, it took them long enough to actually do something with it. But, you know, they took the necessary steps to actually make those moves and to make those transitions. Whereas the bank, we're still waiting for the Bengals to get the foundation pieces going forward and getting, you know, you know, names out of the building as, as quick as possible. And obviously they didn't, you know, respond well to the injuries. Their death has not stepped up. And most importantly, the coaching staff has not utilized that promising depth that we at least thought was promising, like in training camp in the offseason to their fullest potential. But that's not anything new under Marvin Lewis or anything like that. So there's definitely a clear uh, discrepancy between the Browns and the Bengals when they're handled with with adversity. And at least at this point, under the Browns' new regime, they seem much much more well equipped to to kind of you know handle these quick transitions and going forward, that's going to be something that players and free agents look towards when they're looking to move to Ohio, whether the Browns or the Bengals. Right now, the Browns at this point, they just look like the better situation. Uh, I mean, th there's there's a couple of things, a couple of different routes I want to I want to explore here, but uh, you know we are pressed for time a little bit because some of the topics I want to explore could be. Very lengthy conversations that we can have about about this rivalry, the directions of each team and whatnot. You know, we talked about Driscoll. I just, I mean, do you think at, at any point this team would have been far more competitive over this stretch where Driscoll started games with A.J. McCarron? Or do you think that this roster in general just is, I mean, that. I, we, we know that A.J. McCarron left because he thought he could get a starting gig and that hasn't really happened. Um, and he's kind of, you know, he went to Buffalo and then he's bounced over to Oakland and, um, you know, he's not really getting any playing time this year. So he kind of bet on himself and unfortunately lost that bet. But, I mean, do you think that at, at any point A.J. McCarron could have grabbed a couple more wins, maybe get this team to a 9-7 and seven season sniffing the playoffs? Or is that just kind of a moot thing and maybe he, with all the injuries, it wouldn't have really mattered? It's very moot. I think the the difference between McCarron and Driscoll is very marginal. And a lot of people who liked McCarron when he's on the Bengals, they're gonna point to whatever type of you know personality and you know mentality and, and intangibles that McCarron had just, just because he happened to play for Nick Saban in Alabama and won a few national titles surrounded by, you know, some of the greatest college football teams of my generation. The difference between the two in terms of actual tangible talent is not that great. 
And I think if McCarron was in for Driscoll, the production on the field wouldn't be that much different. And maybe the Bengals get one more win. Maybe they win against the Chargers, or maybe they put up a better effort against the Broncos or Browns. But in overall performance, I don't think that there's much of a difference. And I think, um, you know, I think I think McCarron was fine as a backup, and I think people wanted Driscoll as a backup for that same kind of minimal upside that Driscoll brings in comparison to McCarron, but. You know, overall, there's not much different in terms of them being quarterbacks and their their actual arm talents and their abilities to lead a, you know, at this point, a ragged football team. Yeah, and McCarron had A.J. Green throughout the games. He he started mm-hmm. Tyler Eifert for a couple of the games. He he was out a couple as well. But um, so he had a few more weapons probably than, than Driscoll did at this point. But, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, you mentioned, you mentioned Nick Chubb. And I was thinking about recently, just a quick little anecdote, I guess. Um, I just kind of was thinking about how the 2018 draft class where the Browns netted, you know, Callaway, Nick Chubb, uh, Jannard Avery, and then Baker Mayfield, you know, they've kind of now all those guys immediately started having an impact on the Browns. Uh, We saw it against the Bengals and that's pretty similar to like what the Bengals did in 2011, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and and par- partially in 2010. I mean, they kind of built their roster about that around those guys, those core guys, and it it you know it has it led to five playoff berths for the Bengals. So who knows what's ahead for the Browns? Speaking of Baker Mayfield, we got to go here, John. Let's go here. Uh, yeah, I want to get your thoughts on his his stare down of Hugh Jackson. Um, and there's a couple of questions I want to ask as follow-up, but we're going to start here. Just when he was doing that, and, they, and I didn't actually see it live. I saw it when they, when they panned back and showed, you know, showed him kind of backpedaling and staring back at the sideline. And to be quite honest with you, it wasn't a play that he made that was like a wow throw. It was actually a wow play by Njoku. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what do you make of that? I mean, I, I think we all knew going into this, Baker Mayfield was a kind of arrogant guy. He shows a lot of that on the field. He showed it showed it on college tape. Um, to be expected, or uh, or is it just specifically because it's Hugh Jackson? People have a problem with Baker Mayfield because it doesn't play for his for their team. There's, there's no there's no Browns fans out there that are be like that that are you know asking Baker Mayfield to calm it down and kind of hide in the shell because that's not that's not who he is that's not how he succeeded as a college quarterback that's not how he's going to succeed as an NFL quarterback I guarantee you that if Baker Mayfield played for the Cincinnati Bengals everybody would want him to do the same exact thing that he's doing with Cleveland but just because it's against the team that we root for we suddenly have a problem with it. Yes, you know Mayfield like threw like a five yard pass in Joku who then ran sixty three yards. But the impact of that play basically led to the Browns having a chance to finish over 500. The Bengals would finish below 500 and be last in the AFC North. And the, and the Bengals just happened to employ the head coach that, again, Hugh Jackson probably didn't have much stay in drafting and then um, stuck him on the bench for like the entire entirety of, of training camp and preseason and then the start of regular season. Baker Mayfield will always try to find the guy to kind of, you know, you know, build his mentality around and, and trying to make the villain so he can kind of conquer him. And that's kind of just the way that he is. So he, he deemed Hugh Jackson that guy because of the events that transpired towards him. And even after the first big game, he kind of he villainized Hugh Jackson. And then essentially the entire city of Cleveland rallied behind him and made Hugh Jackson that enemy to kind of, you know, just kind of spark some type of late season run. 
And then they did all they could to try to make the playoffs. It fortunately didn't work. But then, you know, Mayfield essentially emphasized that with this latest, like, stare down that lasted, like, a few seconds. You know, at, at this point, Hugh Jackson can't coach against the Browns and not expect to get trolled because of how things ended there. So even if Mayfield doesn't have this, like, much hatred towards Jackson, this is the persona that he's going to bestow upon him in order to galvanize his team and his and his fan base and maybe even his coaching staff to the point because th- what they see in Mayfield is a leader and a spark and a culture shift, and that's exactly what that franchise has needed. And there's just no way that we can expect, you know, Browns fans to possibly ask him to tone it down. And we just have to have that perspective as another fan base of, of a rival team that that's just the way that it is. And we're just going to be jealous of it because we don't have it. So... Are you, aside from it being at the Bengals' expense, do you have a problem with it? Because no, you, you do not. I do not. Okay. Because to me, this is kind of like the, the bat flip argument in baseball, right? Oh, for sure. Uh, there are people that find it – because this is, this is where we are here. There's kind of two sides of the fence. You know, talking about baseball, you know, there are people that find that disrespectful and, you know, you're showing up other players. And then there's other people that are like, hey, man, this is a a sport where the individual spotlight is on you quite often. And when you dominate, physically dominate another player, um, you have a right to celebrate or whatever. Um, So you do not have a problem with it based on, you know, what he did, what you have no problem with it. And you think the players should should be able to do that? I mean, I, yeah. I, I guess. I feel like the fan bases for both football and baseball are similar to the unwritten rules aspect. Whereas with the NBA, there's like a there's a much different majority fan base where they're kind of open to players expressing themselves in that way and having these stare downs and having this sort of pettiness kind of take over games at times. And, you know, with both football and baseball fan bases, they're kind of like, you know, you should, you know, stick your head down, do do your job because this is a team, you know, this is a team aspect and you're not bigger than anybody else. Where as in basketball, you know, you have more individual opportunities to shine and, and to have that personality kind of take over. But I'm all for players having fun, you know, and, 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 and just kind of expressing themselves in the way that they want to do, want to do so. And if that can galvanize and, and lead a team to success, then I'm, I'm, I'm all for doing that. If we had a player, like Baker Mayfield, who can you know talk the talk and walk the walk, essentially, I'd be all for that, and that, that's one of the aspects that I liked about him coming out of college. And you know, I'm I'm glad that he's not shying away from it, and I'm glad that for at least for the city of Cleveland, it, it's definitely doing more good than bad. I did not like it, uh, I, and, and and I there are a couple reasons why. I guess I'm a little a little more old school in, in certain things where I just you know it's one thing if if he's staring down another te- another player on the team and maybe they had been jawing all day and that that kind of stuff happens um i i understand that you know there may have been something there with hugh jackson but i i don't really understand the animosity i i like how you how you said john that he kind of looks to create a villain mm-hmm. and, and maybe that plays into the the quote unquote chip on the shoulder thing Right, he was yeah. a walk. He was a walk-on at college. He was, you know, he's shorter than than most prototypical NFL quarterbacks. Um, all that kind of stuff. And he has used a lot of different fuel, a lot of different villains to become a successful player, especially at the college level. For now, at the pro level, and I, and I, you know, if that's what he's got to do, 
and a lot of players do that, that's fine. I do did not I don't really understand the Hugh Jackson thing because from what I understand, based on reports and things I heard back in the draft, Hugh Jackson actually kind of pounded the table for to get Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. Baker Mayfield took over as a starting quarterback while Hugh Jackson was still there. And yeah, Hugh Jackson went to the rival Bengals, but he was jobless. Was he supposed to not go get another job? Especially if one that was offered to him right away where he could support his family in the pros. I mean, was he supposed to say no? So mm-hmm. I, 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 that's where I sit here and I go, well, Why? And the only reason that makes sense is one that you said where maybe he's just creating a villain for the sake of creating a villain. And maybe he's smart enough to know that this rivalry needs a little extra oomph because the Browns have been so bad for so long and the Bengals have largely dominated the series lately that it brings a little extra gravitas and headlines to a rivalry that hasn't really had much um, going forward. Now, Me saying that, I understand how big of a hypocrite I sound because when we when the Bengals had players like Chad Johnson, when the Bengals had players that like to talk, a lot of times it was at the Browns' expense, and uh, whether it was sending Pepto Bismol to Browns players or whether it was all kinds of stuff that Chad Johnson did, the the cornerback checklist, if you remember that one, John, there was all kinds of stuff. So I realize that talking noise or, you know, kind of bragging about it, about certain things. I I sound like a hypocrite in saying I don't like it, or I sound like kind of a sore loser in saying that I don't like it, but there was just something about it, just player to coach. I I just, I would think there'd be at least a little bit more respect level, especially what happened a couple of weeks ago when they played and there was more headlines where he just kind of brushed Hugh off and, I don't know. And and maybe we don't know exactly what transpired in that locker room and how badly Hugh Jackson rubbed off on some of those players. And I think that's, I think that's the aspect that a lot of people just don't quite grasp. I like if, cause like, like you said, if Mayfield truly believes like logistically that Hugh Jackson shouldn't have taken the, the, the Bengals job, he's, he's just stupid at that point. I think he's smart enough to realize that Hugh Jackson was looking out for himself. But like you said, like, and like I said, He's just out there to create the common villain for them to rally against. And I think even if the Browns are still, you know, at this point better than the Bengals, they always, they, they've needed that in this rivalry to actually sweep the, the Bengals for the first time in what's like 16 years at this point. So the, the, there's that. And there's also the aspect that I just don't think that Hugh Jackson just anywhere outside of like Mike Silver is respected by anybody. Like the, the way that he exited Cleveland, the way that he basically had the blame tour, you know, on his way out. And just the way that he handled things in there, you know, j- just in the very you know, brief stints that we glimpsed it that we got from Hard Knocks, there was just no indication that he was the leader that was right for, you know, just any team. And, you know, coming from a program like Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley, you know, e- even Joe Mixon said that, said about, like, I've never been a part of a losing program before. And he was obviously referring to Oklahoma. Mayfield was a, was a part of that program that obviously made, had a lot of success in the Big 12. You know, to go to Cleveland and, and to see whatever clown show that Hugh Jackson was running, I guess he took major offense to that. So I, I truly don't believe that there's a lot of respect between Mayfield and, and Jackson. But I also believe that, you know, the, like, like the words about him, you know, shouldn't be taking a job within the division. That, that's kind of just fabricated to the sense of him just propping him up as something that 
can, that the team can rally against, you know? Yeah. And I, I think also what didn't sit well with me and probably a lot of Bengals fans is it was a, it was a little bit of a symbol of, I don't want to say passing the torch because it's really one season. This could be an aberration. We don't know what's ahead for Baker Mayfield. He could end up having a major sophomore slump next year. Uh, you know, maybe the Browns experience a lot of the injuries, the Bengals experience this year. And all of a sudden he doesn't look like the same guy who knows who they bring in at head coach. And that can have an effect on him, the offense, all that kind of stuff. Yes. They look like they're headed in the right direction. I'm just saying we don't know for sure what the future holds, but what didn't sit right with me is th- that bravado is what the Bengals used to have. Um, and as recent as 2015, maybe they didn't show it in the same way that Mayfield showed it, but the talent, the bravado, the confidence, that's what the Bengals used to have. And now they go out there almost seemingly expecting to lose. And that's, uh, that's not, that's not a, a good feeling to have as, fans as you and I who covered the team for CincyJungle.com and the, on this podcast. It's not a fun feeling to I know I feel that, especially with all the people that are out of the lineup. I, I go like, into Who the doesn't feel that at this point? You right, know? right. So so it's kind of like, well, I can only imagine what the players feel like. Now, I guess one bit of good news, side note, you mentioned him just a second ago. Joe Mixon did crack the 1,000-yard rushing mark on in this game against the Browns. So the Bengals did have, despite all the struggles, especially on offense, having a backup quarterback for a period of time, they did have a 1,000-yard receiver in Tyler Boyd and a 1,000-yard rusher in Joe Mixon. So at least uh, there are some positives there. Going back to Mayfield quickly, John, there are a lot of r- rivalries. There are a lot of villains in terms of Bengals fans looking outward into this division or maybe even – around the league, you know, uh, depending on certain fans' viewpoints. But I think most people readily will say, oh, yeah, Big Ben or Antonio Brown or Juju Smith-Schuster. But have, as Baker Mayfield in two short games, do you think he has propelled himself into that conversation as that is now the team's either biggest villain or one of the biggest villains that they are facing and will face going forward? Uh I, I in think terms honestly, of, I'm, saying, I'm saying play and character. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm saying in terms of play, on-field play, and some of this stuff. Because I, I'm going to tell you what, John, this stuff isn't going to stop, especially if Hugh Jackson. No. If Hugh Jackson stays, whether it's as an assistant coach, a head coach, whatever with the Bengals, this stuff's not going to stop. So, I mean, I think we have to keep that in mind. No, for sure. Um, if Hugh Jackson is out of the Bengals organization – then, you know, Baker's going to find someone else to, you know, kind of put the target on the Bengals back, you know. Um, I, I, I Honestly, from like a fan's perspective, I guess it depends on your opinion of Hugh Jackson because that's like, again, that's the one thing that he's, you know, you know, pinning against and like, you know, putting the slander up against the Bengals team at this point. For the for fans who don't like Hugh Jackson, I don't think Baker's at that level of hate yet. It's, there's just still a level of jealousy because the Bengals don't have that at the quarterback position or at the most important position on the team. And they're just jealous that the Browns may finally have that and, and they don't. Um, but definitely as a talent perspective, like he's by far at this point, the second best or yes, I, I would say he's probably the second best, like naturally talented quarterback in the division when everyone else is healthy uh, ahead of, you know, both Joe Flacco and Lamar Jackson. And honestly, I just think he's just slightly a bit, uh, ahead of Dalton at this point, just in just natural ability. And obviously, yes, it's sustained that and has to keep growing. But just off of, off of a base, he's shown a lot of things that just Dalton hasn't shown in like eight, seven plus eight years now. And I think at, at this point, he has ascended to 
like the point that the Bengals fans and the team has to respect every time that they play each other, just, just like, you know, when they play Big Ben's, because you can always expect Roethlisberger to come into Paul Brown Stadium and do whatever he, you know, do what he does. And they haven't lost there in so long. And now they have to prevent the Browns from doing that exact thing. And, you know, where the Browns go from here with Mayfield at a quarterback, wh- what they do with their coaching staff, that's going to be extremely indicative of how they go, of how they, you know, perform moving forward and what their records are going to be like with Mayfield at quarterback. But the Browns are definitely a team with Mayfield at quarterback that will always challenge the Bengals. And the Bengals cannot expect to just sweep them, you know, every single year until they're at that level in terms of head coach and quarterback. Yeah, I, I think he's asserting himself as as probably the biggest villain that they're now. Obviously, that in a few short days against the Steelers, I could easily change my mind just <laughs> just seeing those guys on the field and doing what they do on, on against the Bengals and uh, all the chippiness that always ensues there. But uh, based on the position he plays, um, based on you know, usually quarterbacks uh, on the field at least, with the exception of I mean, really that I can think of offhand, maybe Philip Rivers a little bit. Uh, they're mostly even keeled. They don't really engage in a lot of chatter on the field, and even at the at the podiums after the game, they kind of just they're the they they stick to the kind of coach speak stuff. And um, he does not do that for no. better or for worse. He does not do that. And uh, I think that as especially as long as Hugh Jackson is there, um, I, I think he's he's going to be he is currently making the case to be the Bengals' biggest rival or biggest villain, uh, especially because they're going to be playing him at least twice a year going forward. So, um, uh, and, and someone said in the YouTube chat in order to, uh, who was it? Uh, I think it was Holy Moly Donut Shop. Uh, the best way to shut ba- Baker up is to beat him, obviously. Um, and they, they, he's two and zero against the Bengals. So he can, he can talk because he's winning, but, uh, you know, he's kind of using that Johnny Manziel bravado attitude, but he's actually translating it to on-field play and production. Um, and uh, it's turning into a product that, as from a Bengals standpoint, has to be pretty frustrating to watch um, going forward. So uh, we'll see how this whole rivalry, this whole relationship with Baker Mayfield and the Bengals continues. Going forward, though, there's another question, and, and I think – with the with the Browns game showed us, John, is there were a lot of high priced veterans in that game that did not play very well, and there, mm-hmm. and and there are lingering questions about players who are being paid a lot or who could be paid a lot after this off in this off season that. I don't know that they're worth it. You know, Dre Kirkpatrick victimized a, a bit. Uh, the three the three top cornerbacks, William Jackson, especially Darquez Denard, and I, I think Kirkpatrick as well. Uh, or Kirkpatrick was out, I believe. Was it? Was he? Uh, well, he was injured during the game. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, um, I knew I saw him out there, but I, because what what I'm getting at is, you know, you saw passes going on and they didn't even look back at the ball. They're just kind of swiping at the, at the receivers beat on routes that I saw that happen a number of times on, uh, on Sunday by, especially Denard was, was one I saw it probably three times. Um, not even looking back at the pass, not looking back at the quarterback, but aside from those three, Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins, pretty much non-existent. Um, and then we have Vontez perfect and Vontez perfect. Is, he came back, 
from a concussion after missing a couple of games. He has battled injuries. He had, he's had a concussion. He's had a hip issue that's caused him to miss a couple of games. He was suspended at the beginning of the year. Then as he's being held up off the field, obviously the team and its trainers are trying to respect league protocol and don't want to get themselves in any hot water because head injuries and concussions are now a big thing. You see him angrily, I don't even know what you want to call it, swipe away from a, a trainer or get out of the trainer's grasp as he's trying to help help him off of the field. And it's just the latest in going, what are you doing, man? Uh, your thoughts on that. And is this is it time to just cut the cord there? It's been time. And this is this this latest incident, I don't think supports the argument as much as maybe we thought it did like right after it happened, but it's still something that is worthy of criticism. The violence of the show itself isn't the issue. And that's what a lot of people had trouble with, like me and you, when, when we called him out about it, you know, like he just, he must barely brushed him aside. And obviously he was frustrated because he was injured and he was getting taken off the field. It wasn't the violence of in the force of the shove itself. It was the intent and the general lack of control he always proves he doesn't possess because he's already a reckless and controlless player on the field. And that's kind of why he ends up putting himself in this position of getting concussed so often. Now this is like a seventh concussion of his, of his career. And we don't know, you know how much of his brain capacity is left at this point because this is more serious than I think a lot of people were talking about. But like because he's him, because he's known to, to do these kind of reckless things you know, after the whistle – usually against the other team now it's against an own an own staff member who's just trying to help him off the field like e even if it's not that big of a deal this is Fox is perfect like he should know who he is and he should know that whatever he does it's going to get amplified by 10 and that's exactly what happened but there's always going to be people that defend him and treat him just like any other player he's not just any other player and the league office proves that but by, by continually finding him and suspending him for things that are just borderline for anybody else because he's already set this reputation, this precedent for the kind of player and the person on the field that he is. So if he continues to not show the awareness that he is just in a different category from everybody else, he's just never going to get it. And the more concussions that he endures and tries to come back from, pretty much the worst is going to get. So like this latest concussion is just, there's just little hope for him ever coming back to the player that you know we loved when he first came out when he first joined this defense he had the chance you know early on you know before this all kind of spiraled out of control to evolve as a player you know and as a person on the field because you know off the field he's pretty much a saint he's, he's a bookworm he's a film nerd and all that kind of stuff but he's just not reliable on the field and this is this is just not a good look even if it if you don't deem it a big deal and this is a tough decision for the Bengals next offseason. Um, on one hand, he has an 8.65 plus million cap hit, but they only suffer a 1.8 million dead cap hit if they cut him uh, based on the contract extension. I mean, he signed a three year, $32.5 million contract last offseason. So, um, I mean, so on that on that front, you're kind of like, well, based on the fact that he's not really pulling his weight, he's injured often, all that kind of stuff, maybe it's time to cut the cord. He'll be, on the other hand, he's not 30 yet. He'll be, he's actually only 27 currently. He'll be 28 next year with, with this uh, potential savings. And you, if you cut him, 
there's not a lot there in the linebacker group to, to rely on um, in terms of talent and depth as we've seen throughout this entire year. So that's a tough decision. I don't know what the right one is. I, I'm just, I, I think, I just think it's time for, in a lot of different respects. He's bringing negative PR to the team. He always does with, with the suspension, when the suspensions hit. Um, he's proven to be reckless. Like you said, the concussion issue, it seems to be a lingering one and one that he, he can't, he goes zero to 60, and when he's at his best or worst, it's at 60, but he doesn't – it's it's like almost he plays at zero or he plays at 60. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? There's not there's not a 45. There's not – and and granted, when I say that, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek because I, you always want your players giving 100%, but perfect 60 is, you know, the, the ankle twists and all that kind of stuff that we've seen – you see other players target him and try and get him to, to goad him into penalties, all that kind of stuff. I think Marshall Yonda was another one earlier this year that we've seen. It's just one of those things where it's like, you know, kind of like the, the Adam Jones thing. And and granted, Adam Jones, his issues were more off-field stuff. Right. But it's, kind of, it's kind of like the – it's a headache. And if he goes somewhere else and ends up playing well, someone else gets more out of him, okay. But – it's almost more trouble than it's worth. You know what I mean? No, for sure. Like, like you said, there's, there's, there's just not a lot there. Like without him, there's not a lot there with him. Like he's not, he's like legit in the bottom 10% linebackers this year. He's like, he, he isn't as much of a liability as people like to make Hardy Nickerson a liability. And granted Nickerson has actually been pretty decent the last couple of weeks while Burfick was out. Whenever Burfick's on the field now, he's just not, He's just not a good starting linebacker. He's and for the amount of money that he's being paid, he can't sit on the bench. So there's just no way to justify continuing to give him starter money for him to continue to be a below average linebacker. And people want to say, you know, you know, give him another year, see if he recovers. He's always going to have these issues, you know, coming off the field, whether that's injury or whether that's suspension. And it's not going to get better after seven concussions in three or four years now. Like that, that is a legitimate issue that's only going to get worse. And, you know, we, we know that their linebacker situation is pretty barren. Getting rid of Burfick is not going to make that exponentially worse as much as keeping him on the field for him to continue to be a poor player. Like, there's, the, the, they just have to have an exodus of their bad linebackers, keep, you know, whatever guys you still have on the rookie deals as, like, a base, and go out and find actual difference makers. Because right now, Fonsis Burfick is not a positive difference maker. Yeah, and, I mean, he's not even, he's not even in there. I mean, we're talking about him potentially uh... – you know how how the the linebacker group might be decimated if uh, if he's not there, but I mean he's not really there now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I mean it's it's kind of like uh, what what are you actually losing? I mean I've seen some people in the live YouTube chat saying I'll trade him and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, you you probably couldn't get a six round pick for Vontaze Burfick right now. Yeah, I love I love this one from from Nathan McGuire, John Sheeran. You're not a doctor, Marvin Lewis. Uh, <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was a good one. Um, and if you don't understand that, then you need to go look up a Marvin Lewis uh, press. You're press you're conference. better for not understanding that. Yeah, exactly. You'll, you have some brain cells at the end of it. That's right. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We're talking uh, a lot of things about coming from that that Browns loss by the Bengals. You can get this show on Art19, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. You can get it on YouTube. We're also on CincyJungle.com, so download the show how you can.
We're up against some time here, John. I don't know if we're going to get to everything we wanted to get to, especially if we want to get to a couple of listener questions at the end of the show. So let's just do this one pretty, this next segment pretty quickly in that 2019 is right around the corner. And, uh, you know, what people do, you mentioned at the beginning of the show, you like to, you're, you're talking about maybe getting back into the gym rhythm as, as a resolution. And I think that's a lot of people's New Year's resolution, and it's a good one. Uh, but the Cincinnati Bengals should have a New Year's, a bunch of New Year's resolutions or game plans for their offseason going forward. And, I mean, obviously, it's always win a Super Bowl or win a playoff game. I mean, I think that's, you know, win the division, win a playoff game, win the Super Bowl. I think that's obvious. We're going outside of the obvious. So I'm going to put you on the spot here first, John. If you were the Bengals, if you were Mike Brown, if you were the front office, what's a New Year's resolution in terms of operating practices, something you'd like to do with the roster, anything like that that you think the Bengals should be doing as a New Year's resolution? You know, when you brought up this idea right before the show, I thought it would be a good idea. But now I'm just I'm just thinking about the things I could say, and the Bengals are just all of us. They're they're gonna set resolutions that they're just not gonna fulfill. Like the <laughs> resolution, they haven't changed. Like spend spend actual money for agency. Go out and get a, a, a new head coach that's not Marvin Lewis. They're not gonna do either of those things. So I could tell them to do that. They're not gonna do that. Marvin Lewis is gonna come back. Likely it's gonna be Hugh Jackson that replaces Bill Lazor, offense coordinator. It might as well be Vance Joseph, a defensive coordinator. The band will be back together. And the same things will happen in 2019. Like I, I could tell them, I could want, I could want them to do different things, but they haven't shown that they can do it. But it's always going to be, you know, actually spending for agency. Don't just rely on the draft in terms of rebuilding the team, cutting losses in guys like Vontas Perfect and maybe some other uh, other pricey veterans. You know, you know, have some stability at tight end with all three of those guys going in. Uh, entering for agency, you know, maybe getting one to one to two of those guys under contract, and at least be open to drafting the quarterback. I think, which is something that they weren't in 2017, 2018, when they saw guys like Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Rosen, um, and Lamar Jackson pass them by. And you know, th- those are all things that I want them to do, and that are necessary for them to you know eventually achieve progress and achieve the goals that we want them to do. But until they do that, we're just going to be having the same conversations every single year, and they're just going to barely be competitive in a weak division but not have the necessary tools and personnel to go any further than they've already been. So the resolutions, in my opinion, just haven't changed. We just, we're just finding new ways to say them, I guess, because the Cincinnati Bengals are just the average human being that, that just doesn't fall through on the resolutions. Yep, and I, I like that you brought up quarterback because that's – kind of where it starts and ends with a lot of teams in the NFL. And that's kind of how the NFL is run. You know, you got to get your quarterback and do it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say this and it's kind of a blanket statement, I guess, but I'm going to say that the Bengals need to get, I'm trying to find the right, uh, right wording for this, I guess, get, get their top tier quarterback, get their elite quarterback. And, and believe it or not, that could include the guy that they've had for the past couple of years. And I'll, I'll talk about that for just a second here. It's either get a guy that you draft and, you know, you develop and that becomes, you know, first round guy or whatever, that becomes your guy. And that's, that's the new guy. And you hope that that person carries the franchise going forward or, you do, you know, if they're if they are truly planning to get the band back together, as you mentioned, John, 
then they need to do what they did with Andy Dalton in 2015 and absolutely surround him with all kinds of different weapons, offensive line help, everything they can. If they are truly committed to Andy Dalton, we've seen Andy Dalton play at a near, I don't want to say elite, but a very high level back in 2015 when he had Tyler Eifert, when he had AJ Green, when he had Marvin, uh, Marvin Jones, Muhammad Sanu, good offensive line, a couple of nice running backs. We've seen him play at a at a high level when there's a lot of players on that roster. All of a sudden, those guys have gone. We've, t- we've talked about this ad nauseum. Those guys are gone. They haven't fully replenished a lot of those areas. And Andy Dalton, now, you look at some of his stats, even this year, his stats weren't awful, um, especially in those first handful of games when they went 4-1. But, I mean, the Bengals need to say quarterback is the priority this year. And if it's not Dalton, then you got to get a new guy and you got to start and be like, this is the guy for the future. Um, Otherwise, you got to replenish, you got to replenish, you got to replenish, you got to reload talent, all that stuff. Going back to what we talked about a second ago and something you touched on, John, you know, you mentioned getting rid of Vontez Perfect and how that could save them, you know, six million, six and a half million dollars or whatever in in 2019. That's great. But like you said, if that six and a half million is going right back into free agents that can help you right now, uh, whether it's outside guys or re-signing those tight ends or what have you, then then it does you no good. If you're if you're saving salary cap space just to save more space and continue to roll it over, which has kind of been the Bengals' mo, that doesn't really do you any good. So. You know, if they have space like that, they need to use it to help out the quarterback. And I think that they really need to take a hard look at the quarterback this year and say, you know, if Dalton's our guy, these are the proper steps we need to take in order to make prop him up to a high level. If he is not the guy, then we need to look at something in the draft. We also have a little bit of news about the draft that's going to lead to a listener question we're going to get to in a second. But, um, you know, that's that's kind of what I think. I think they need to resolve to get to to really build up the quarterback position and really and even in the backup quarterback position because mm-hmm. the backup quarterback position hasn't been stellar when called upon this year either. So um, I think I think that's the my resolution for them. Yours is basically don't don't be the guy that doesn't follow through on their resolutions, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah. 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 Well, I hope, I hope you do follow through on, um, (laughs) I hope you do follow through on your resolutions, John. uh, And you can keep me accountable on some of mine as well that I, if if I end up sharing those with you, Uh, seeing some other stuff right here. um, uh, Priority number one, I think it's Holy Moly Donut Shop again. Priority number one, find a legit suitor to buy the franchise. That's a good one. uh, all that you know that's that's a pipe dream though that's not that's not going to be a true resolution for the Cincinnati Bengals but we'd love to hear yours you can get in touch with us in a variety of different ways and uh, let us know what you think the Bengals resolution should be for 2019 we're going to get out of here with some listener questions and the first one since we just talked about resolutions and the quarterback position John uh, the Oregon quarterback, Justin Herbert, I believe, said he's going to forego the draft and he's going to go back into uh, college to play at Oregon this this year, which is a little surprising. But he did have that uh, shoulder injury, I think, mm-hmm. towards the end of the year that 
um, forced him to miss a little time. And uh, I think he wants to go back and really prove the tape. Uh, it might not be the smartest decision on his part, just simply because this is a weak quarterback class. But we did get um, we did get a question. Uh, let's see who it was from. It was from DI3S3L44. Uh, I think it's Diesel44, actually, is if I'm cool enough to to read that correctly. Uh, with Herbert pulling out of the draft, how does that shake up the Bengals' interest and possibility of taking a quarterback? So this kind of t- piggybacks a little bit on what I was talking about with the quarterback situation in 2019. What do you think? Um, so just based off like the last three or four, maybe even five years at this point, if you want a quarterback in the first round, odds are you're going to have to pony up and pay for it and with extra draft picks. That's just the nature of the market now and how teams who may, maybe don't end up being in the top five initial order who need a quarterback, they've shown the complete willingness to move up and sacrifice, you know, future first round picks and multiple mid round picks of that draft to go up and get their guy. We saw the Rams do that with Jared Goff. The Eagles did that with uh, Carson Wentz. The Texans did that for Deshaun Watson. The Chiefs did that for Patrick Mahomes. The, even the Jets did it for Sam Darnold. They, they only moved up like three spots. The, the Bears did that for Mitchell Trubisky. They moved up like one spot. So it doesn't matter where you end up, you know, Slotting the draft order, odds are if you want to take a quarterback in the first round and you're not picking first overall, you're going to have to trade up into the top five or you know you know way earlier in the in the in the first round than where you already are to get it to get him. So right now there looks to be like one in Haskins who's projected to potentially go top ten, and then beyond that there's like like Will Greer or Drew Locke, you know you know guys that have more questions attached to him, but. Even if right now you're not, you know, excited about the prospect of either of those two behind Haskins, because I know Haskins is pretty much universally loved at this point, they still have to be open to, you know, willing. They still have to be open to the possibility of him taking over in like a year or two, because, you know, in the past, it's not always those first two quarterbacks off the board that end up being the most successful. Like Deshaun, like Mahomes and and Watson were like third and fourth quarterbacks taken. Prescott was taking the fourth round. I guess it's more of an outlier than anything, but it doesn't always have to be that that first guy in in the in the draft class that is like you know the 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 surefire best quarterback of that class. You know, there, there's guys with potential here that can still be good players, and it's just up to the eval and how those guys end up turning out. You know, w- w- with their offseason programs and whatever, and depending on you know how much stock that they end up improving, you know where they're going to go. And so, yeah, obviously Herbert, you know, not declaring definitely hurts the class overall. But I think that even with just Haskins being, you know, like the guy that everybody still like agrees on, I think there will still be another, you know, at the very least quality starting quarterback in this class and the Bengals have to be open to finding him. Uh, I can't shake the feeling or, or the thought of, what if the Bengals had just drafted a, one of those quarterbacks last year? Because if they are looking for a quarterback this year, which I don't think they are, but if they are looking for a quarterback early this year, um, you know, it, it's kind of funny because then it's a weaker class. And of course the Bengals just make the wrong decision again. And they wait to get a quarterback in the class. that's a lot weaker than last year when they could have done so. But Imagine if they just said, you know what, if they, and this is the difference between the Ravens and how they are run and the Bengals and how they're run. They had mm-hmm. a they have a Super Bowl winning quarterback on their team. Granted, he's older than, than Andy Dalton, 
But they noticed some warts in his game. They noticed some aging, all that kind of stuff. And they said, you know what? Screw it. We're gonna take. We're gonna still give him some weapons, and he can he can play this year. But we're gonna take this kid because he's high on our board. We want another quarterback, and that's that's what we're gonna do. So they took a first round quarterback. Flacco gets hurt. All of a sudden, Lamar Jackson comes in, and they they you know they're poised to pretty much win the AFC North. If the Bengals had not been so concerned with Andy Dalton's confidence level or whatever it is that that has made them not take a quarterback high in years when we thought they could or should. Imagine if they just stashed away a Josh Rosen on their bench or a whoever, one of the, whoever one of these guys, whichever one of them they, they like the best. And Andy Dalton, I mean, you, you have hindsight. You, you think Andy Dalton's going to start it all, all year, but you have one of these guys, and all of a sudden now – this person comes in, and at, at the very least, maybe they win some games, but at the very least, they get some valuable starting experience. And you can say, you know what, either year two or year three, we're going to give Dalton maybe another year or something, but year two or year three, based on what we've seen, this person is not the guy or this person is the guy and uh, or, or, or will be could become the guy. And the Bengals would have had, in a season that has been lost, they would have at least had that going for, for them. Right. I mean, they they would have had a young quarterback that they could say, you know what, we made the right decision or, oh boy, I don't know about this. So I I, I just, I wish that they had, for lack of better words, had the stones to draft a quarterback and not worry about ruffling the feathers of the guy they already have in the building because they want to make the team better. Uh, Go ahead. Unquestionably, because you, like every year we talk about, you know, how can we improve the team or any at all? And it always involves, you know, you know, targeting, you know, a multitude of different positions to have, you know, immediate improvements in those. And sometimes it'll take, you know, years for those guys to develop and become assets for Dalton to utilize. If you're drafting a quarterback in the first round, odds are he'll do better with the roster that a guy like Andy Dalton may be struggling with. Like, Deshaun Watson, for example, like, did you see the game that he had against like against the uh, the Eagles? Like, he, like his receivers were like injured. He was playing on the road, and he was just making plays out by himself. Like, even Patrick Mahomes is doing things that we've never that we've rarely seen for the quarterback position. And he's just elevating the guys around him. You know, Carson Wentz and Goff have improved dramatically. You know, even with their supporting cast, you know, they're they're showing their immense talent. If you draft a guy in the first round. Odds are you don't need to fill every need that you have on the roster. Whereas if you got, have a guy like Dalton, you need all like the entire roster to be you know primed for a playoff run, so he can just you know take the reins and just you know you know dr- drive the car that's already you know fully up- equipped to you know handle a playoff run. If you have a guy that's uberly talented that can elevate a roster, that eases your whole team building process tremendously. And and along with all that, if they if they do end up drafting quarterbacks that they that they said they liked but they weren't interested in taking in 2017 then you have a guy that again you can either you know have you know prepare to take over for Dalton who at that point is a bridge and then take over in year two and three and not have to worry about the, the rookie you know the rookie struggles of a first year quarterback because a guy like Mayfield and I guess Russell Wilson going back to 2012 and even any Dalton in 2011 those guys are pretty much um they're, they're they're, they're they're the anomalies when it comes to rookie quarterbacks. Some, most of the time, it'll take a year for that quarterback to kind of get acclimated in an offense or just in the league in general. And then year two, we see that production really spike upwards. So the longer you wait to get a quarterback under your, under your belt and in your system, the longer it will be until you can actually contend with him. So if the Bengals don't draft a quarterback until like 2020, 
we can't expect that quarterback to actually produce at a high level until 2021. Now he could, if the roster is good enough to carry him in 2020, but odds are, you know, he's going to struggle just like a guy like Josh Rosen has struggled. A guy like Sam Darnold has struggled and guys like Jared Goff and Carson Wentz struggled in their rookie years as well. So uh, odds are, you know, he's not going to end up being Deshaun Watson coming into this first year. He's going to struggle and he's going to go through the motions in his first couple starts. And the, the sooner you get that out of the way, the better, the, the quicker that your franchise can move forward. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I, I watched the game on Sunday night a little bit. We had a family get together that evening, but Sunday night, the, the Chiefs Seahawks game, mm-hmm. and you just, you just see what those two guys do can do and what, you know, what, the, what they mean, Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes, that is, you just see, I, I made the comment to, to some family members saying, you know, that that's just the difference of a guy, what those guys, who those guys are and wh- what they can do for their teams. Um, I mean, that's, that's just the real reality of it. And, you know, it's not that I don't want, I, I think Andy Dalton is a great human being. I think he's a pretty good quarterback. I think Marvin Lewis is a, is a good human being, despite some of the terseness in his <laughs> press conferences and whatnot. Uh, I, I would like to see those guys win, but if they're not winning, it, <laughs> you gotta, right, right. You can always swing again. If you fail, you can always get back up again. It's not like it's not like being, you know, in, you know, back back under the dirt for five more years is going to do any more harm than just continuing the same old thing over and over again. You, yep. At some point, you just have to change it up. And if it doesn't work, try again. Yep. And and in today's NFL, as opposed to when Marvin Lewis first took over as the Bengals head coach, the risk level in terms of financial investment of a first round quarterback, if they are a bust is not, it's not nearly as big of a deal. I mean, go look at, go look at, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield's contract or whatever compared to Car- what Carson Palmer got as the number one pick in, t- in t- 2003. It's night and day. So there's still a risk, but it's far less substantial than it was a handful of years ago. So with the new CBA that was signed. So um, that's where I don't understand. I mean, I I get, you don't want to be non-competitive even for a little bit, but I mean, sometimes you got to do that in order to get, get to a higher level. Mm. At any rate, we've got another email and then we're going to get out of here, John. And it was from John Telly. Um, Interesting. And it does kind of segue nicely into from what we were just talking about, but, um, basically talking about, you know, is there a possibility that the plan was in 2018, that this is still a rebuilding year and that 2019 was going to be what everybody is hanging their hat on. And there's a couple of reasons that, uh, John Telly lists out basically number one marvin gets a two-year deal rather than a one-year deal i know the Bengals have an out after one year but why bother with a second year if this was a quote-unquote prove it deal especially if uh he got some some rental deals in the past they had cut veterans uh like aloka lafell and jones but played rookies and baits and price uh that they usually wouldn't deem ready um, they made trades and some free agent signings in the offseason for players that will be that will be with them beyond this year, um, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but they they didn't make trades before the deadline in the season uh, when the playoffs were a realistic goal. Did the front office write off this season before it started in the hopes of positioning themselves for a playoff run in 2019? 
I should say that I don't agree with this reasoning, um, but wondering what the front office is thinking. And then he also just writes a little thing. To be fair, I'm not someone who thinks Mike Brown doesn't care about winning. I just think he's not very good at it. That's that's perfect. Yeah. Right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's I, I wholeheartedly agree with that last sentence. But your thoughts on some of the points he laid out and and this plan that the Bengals have had for 2018 and 2019. They, they don't they don't have a plan. They don't have a good one at, at the very least. <laughs> the plan um, is not having a plan. <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 it's, I, I, don't, I don't know if they can, if they can tell the difference between, you know, like a, like a, a clear rebuilding year that's hidden behind the propaganda of them being more aggressive. I don't know if they're smart enough to kind of, you know, be a two-faced organization like that. I, I, I don't necessarily agree with it because I think in their minds they were aggressive this offseason compared to 2017 when they let go of their two best offensive linemen and didn't properly replace them um, in free agency or the draft. And then this year when, you know, th- like they made the trade for Cordy Glenn they and they made the trades to get, you know, Billy Price and obviously Jesse Bates and then um, Lily Jefferson as a result of, of all that. I think in their minds they were more relatively aggressive in their approach yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then firing a guy like Paul Alexander, who has been with the organization for so many years to get, you know, a guy who had, you know, quote unquote success with Dallas coaching that line in Frank Pollock. I think in their minds, they were plenty aggressive and I think they were expecting to build, you know, in what has now become a weak division relatively compared to years past where the Steelers aren't as dominant and the Ravens and Browns are, uh, are experiencing a, a facelift of sorts. So, I don't agree with that. I I, I think that um, like regardless of of if they believe that they were going to be competitive or, or, or rebuilding, that Marvin Lewis always had to say and whether or not he was going to continue coaching, and that hasn't changed. You know, you know, with, with how the season has, has endured, and they obviously didn't expect a lot of these injuries to happen, and they've been unfortunate. But you know, you you could say that that's an excuse that can give this argument more weight, but. I just don't believe that they they did. I don't believe that they didn't believe that they could compete this year, and I think they did all that they thought that they could do to make that happen, and it just hasn't happened because their process is extremely flawed. Yeah, and I I, I agree. And even if they didn't believe it, they, every team would tell you, "Oh, we we expect to compete for a championship every year, right?" Yeah. I mean, that's 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 the cliche. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. There are some flaws in some of the logic, and it's not necessarily John's logic, John Telly's logic. It's just the logic that's been laid out there they some of the players that they brought in in free agent deals are not going to be back next year Preston Brown is a one-year deal guy so uh and and that was supposedly one of their big guys that they signed from the outside Cordy Glenn yes I mean that was a trade and and they've got him for locked up for a couple of years now but uh so I I I find flaws there I also find flaws in, in what we just talked about with the quarterback stuff I I would think that if they truly thought, hey, you know, if we get competitive in 2018, if we're close to 2018, awesome, but 2019's the year, I, I would think they would have explored quarterback last year. I, 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 I mean, that's the biggest sign of a rebuild or the biggest, aside from hiring a, head co- a new head coach, that is the, the sign of rebuilding. We're going to move forward with a different quarterback. And they did not do that in a very heavily talented class last year. And they instead, they said, well, let's just kind of plug a couple of holes here and there. And it temporarily worked in the form of a 4-1 start, but injuries and it being basically a house of cards 
ended up collapsing. And here we are again for the third season in a row where the Bengals have a losing season. So, and I also would think that if they really, if they really work, if they had the mindset of 2019 is our year, I would think that you wouldn't, I don't know, two, two straight years of losing seasons that you wouldn't want to say, yeah, well, we'll, we'll have another one and then we'll get there. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, yeah. I just, uh, I don't know. I just find some flaws in logic. And I think John, you hit the nail on the head and that if you were to ask the Bengals and you know, at this time of year, especially when the Bengals aren't doing well and they've had a string of uh, unsuccessful seasons, you know, there's the, the open letters and the fan letters and people talking about how their interactions with ticket salespeople because they don't want to renew and blah, blah, blah. And that's, that's great. That's their prerogative. But you, if you see the letters that get sent back by the organization to the ticket holders and all of that, um, they make these reasons or excuses of, Hey, we were aggressive last year. We were just injured. And I, I don't know. And and I think you're going to hear a lot of that stuff. I think you're going to see Marvin back next year. I think, like you said, John, there's going to be Vance Joseph probably in the mix. If he's let go, he's probably going to be the team's defensive coordinator. I'm expecting a move to Hugh Jackson at offensive coordinator, to be quite honest with you. And they're going to try that and they're going to try and recapture 2015 how they can. And they're, that's, that's going to be their game plan this next year. And then that's probably when it blows up if it does not work, which signs point to inevitably that it will not. But um, I, I just, I think 2019 will probably, they'll probably be a better, there'll be a better result in terms of a record, but I don't, I don't see necessarily too many huge differences in terms of a quarterback or a head coach or anything that I don't know. I, I just, I don't, I don't think, I think they thought 2018 was, not, we talked about this on a recent show was a retool, not a rebuild. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they thought they did enough to, to be competitive and, and potentially sneak a division crown this year. And they, they fooled everybody for about a month and a half and then, that was it. So uh, good email by John. Good questions all around. We're a little short on time, so we're, we're going to get out of here. But uh, we appreciate all the listener questions. If you're new to this show, you can get it on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. You can get all of our stuff on CincyJungle.com. And we are also on uh, YouTube and Art19. So get the show how you can. John, any final thoughts, especially with the rematch of the Steelers coming up? We didn't really bother to preview it because – Number one, we're a little short on time, but number two, uh, it's kind of, well, I mean, goody. We, we can knock them out of the playoffs, I guess, but that's that. Let's go with that um, back-to-back uh, backdoor cover. I think right now they're at plus 16.5, which is just mind-boggling. But, yeah, I think I think they'll cover that just like in the similar way that they did against the Browns. But, yeah, I don't expect to go into Heinz Field when they're, expect- when they're playing for the playoff lives to end up getting the win. I don't think this is going to be – a replay of, of what happened last year, but ultimately I don't think it's going to matter for their plans for 2019 at the same time. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, I mean, it would be, it'd be nice. I mean, I, it's like, yeah, do you want to win or do you not want to win because of draft positioning at this point? I think at the, any, anytime you can beat them and potentially knock them out of the playoffs, do it uh, personally. I mean, even if it's a short lived good feeling, um, you know, that's that's kind of my opinion on it. But at the same time, I do want the Bengals to get a higher draft pick and potentially a more talented player. So, I mean, I see the reasoning for both, but uh, I'd like to beat them, but I do not see that happening. And by the way, 
if you were a person that bet against the Bengals last week, uh, I, I don't remember the line, but it was pretty pretty high. Um, and I think the Bengals covered, like you said, and it, they covered it in a matter of like just five minutes left in the game, type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, talk about a bad beat if you bet on if you bet on that one. That's that's not fun for for the betters out there. But yeah, I think I think the Bengals will probably cover. I just I don't think they'll. I don't think they'll even if they didn't cover, because I don't know what the spread they, they they covered in my book. Yeah, like at least. Yep. <laughs> and uh, the game has been moved. So uh, it's been moved to a later time slot, which is interesting. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens. But uh, it's one week left in the season, and then it's on to the offseason and probably some frustrating news or lack thereof to follow uh, with the Bengals. But we will keep it, keep you updated on all of that news, both here on the podcast, the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, as well as CincyJungle.com. Uh, you can get all the news, opinions, analysis, updates there as well. John Sheeran is a is a contributing editor there, as am I. So uh, check that out. We'll, we'll be posting a lot of different stuff, even though it is the offseason around the corner. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you had a great Christmas. Hope you have a great New Year's. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>